Well, welcome to another edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Mark. Super Tuesday style today here on the program and uh, lots to discuss. Oh, my goodness. So many things happening, of course, today being the day that Donald Trump turns himself in, um, you know, and, and uh, that whole bit and more theater as far as that goes. You know, I mean, it's just it's it's maddening. It's frustrating to see uh, the way the political system is being played out like this. I mean, as we've about we discussed yesterday on the program, um, it, it is kind of a double edged sword. When you think about what could potentially happen, um, if uh, there's 37 different charges, I believe 31, 37, something like that, and we'll see what happens in terms of uh, how this is all prosecuted. Uh, there are a few people who would disagree that one of the primary reasons that they want this to happen, of course, is uh, there's a concerted effort to keep Donald Trump from running for president. And, you know, it will find out from him himself, I'm sure, how bad the situation is. You know, he's been trying to fundraise off this for a while. And, you know, there's, you know, I could face 400 years in prison. So you need to send me money right now to help me fight my legal battles. And, you know, it's unfortunate. But there, there are a couple of things at play here. First and foremost, I agree with Bill Barr, uh, former, former U.S. Attorney General, who said, look, if, if these charges sound trumped up, pun intended. Um, in many cases, you know, the fact that they've been to Mar-a-Lago, you know, I mean, the, the, we talked about yesterday, the fact that one of the issues is that after he left the White House, after um, he was no longer president of the United States, he did have a classified document about a possible invasion of Iran, I believe it was. And he was with a reporter and a publisher of some magazine or whatever. And he said, hey, look what I have here. And that, you know, it, it when you think about it, whether you like Trump or not. Um, that is kind of like pulling out a handgun and saying, look what I have. You know, I mean, the, the, there's the potential there. No one should know that it was even there, let alone what the contents of it were. And whether or not it was discussed, you know, it's kind of like the assault and battery type of thing. Again, I'm not a lawyer. So if any lawyer wants to write in and correct me, if I'm not getting this right, uh, just write to Roger at the bottom line show.com. We'll have a conversation. But I think the the issue for President Trump is, quite frankly, the fact that he had that information and was bragging about it. And you know, even if he said, oh, it's declassified because I declassified it, you know, the, the, that the idea here is that you you cross the line there. You know, in the in the cases of where they talk about like assault and battery, assault and batteries where I say, I'm going to hit you and then I actually connect. Assault is when I say, I'm going to hit you. And uh, it's tension. And so as Bill Barr said, you know, there, there's there probably aren't 31 plus cases that he's going to get convicted on. He said, but quite frankly, even one of them would be enough to send shockwaves through the system. So we have to treat that part of it, obviously, very, very seriously. On the other hand, the larger macro arc is the fact that he's not the first president to, quote unquote, declassify something. He's probably not the first president to have conversations. Remember, this was the whole big thing with the Bill Clinton, Monica Lewinsky stuff. The fact that Bill Clinton lied about having a sexual relationship with Monica Lewinsky while she was an intern at the White House. People said, well, so what? It's just sex. It's no big deal. Well, what do you mean it's no big deal? What kind of conversation was happening in that room, in those rooms, when the two of them were together and somebody else dropped in? What kind of phone calls was he taking? I mean, people were asking questions like, wait, what kind of things are you discussing in the presence of this civilian who has no clearance, no none of this for this type of stuff? And oh, by the way, you guys are having a sexual relationship too. That was a huge deal. And the fact that he lied under oath about it was kind of a flimsy charge, but it was, I think, an impeachable offense. I mean, the Bill Clinton impeachment, from my uh, reading of this, was far more impeachable than Donald Trump's. 
Now, um, again, this the, there is a large swath of the American electorate that would like to see Donald Trump not run again. And they are fueled not only by, of course, every Democrat in America, um, unless they want to see him run because that will help Joe Biden get re-election. But there's a very strong faction of never Trumpers on the right-hand side. When Christina Babb, who is, um, or Christina Bob is uh, President Trump's attorney for his campaign. She started out as an investigative reporter for some publication and was following up just what good journalists do uh, on the question of whether or not uh, there had been any sort of uh, campaign jerry rigging or, you know, just shenanigans happening behind the scenes. And as she started doing her due diligence and her research, she presented it actually to President Trump and wound up working for him now as his lawyer on the campaign. But she told me here on this program, uh, you know, in her book, I think it was Rigged or whatever it's called, Stolen, uh, the election book. Uh, she said, look, the, the biggest culprit was not Democrat legislators who had it in for Donald Trump from the word go. I mean, H.R. Uh, 1, the House resolution for the uh, newly minted majority then of the uh, Democrat-led House of Representatives back in 2019, wanted mail-in voting, wanted to, I mean, basically they looked at what are all the things that give us an advantage? Democrats are more likely than Republicans for mail-in voting, so therefore we want mail-in voting. You know, it just kind of went on from there. The pandemic showed up and created an even better cover for them. But then when you got right down to it, there were 300 plus laws that had been changed either legally or illegally to basically skew the re-election against Donald Trump getting reelected. So the never Trump crowd are the Frenches of this world and the, the, the Phil Fishers. And I'm trying to think of other people, too, who talk about how more reprehensible it is to vote for Donald Trump because we don't like him. He's morally reprehensible. Um, coming up uh, later, this another couple of weeks or so, I'm going to talk with a guy by the name of David Burrell. And ask him, he's got a book about the American Constitution and uh, the Declaration of Independence and looking at the the uh, founders versus the framers and that argument as to what makes America a Christian nation. And uh, we're going to get into that conversation about what about the moral character of the person occupying uh, 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, because ostensibly the U.S. system is set up in such a way that I don't want to say this. I'll say this very cautiously. It's set up in such a way that it doesn't matter what kind of character the person has as long as they do the right thing. you know. <laughs> and and when you look at the Trump record, sure, um, he was a loudmouth and Twitter and all that stuff. But the way he handled the Middle East, the way he handled the sanctity of human life, the way he handled the economy, for better or for worse, I think he won more than he lost. And for people of the Christian faith, put the personality thing aside, he did a much better job than any of us thought he would. And he actually did a pretty good job in certain areas. So, you know, that... that those are all questions that are weighing heavily on the minds of people. But quite frankly, it, from where I sit, it appears to be people who identify as Republican or conservative who have a disdain for Donald Trump are cheering wildly that this these indictments are happening. Not the Alvin Bragg. The Alvin Bragg, we all knew the Manhattan stuff, Alvin Bragg. That was a stretch. They needed something, anything to where the headlines could say Donald Trump indicted, Donald Trump arraigned, Donald Trump in court, Donald Trump fingerprinted. Donald Trump, but but you notice how many times I mentioned their lead story, Donald Trump, Donald Trump, Donald Trump, Donald Trump. So anyway, that's that's going on today. Um, also, congratulations for our KLDC listeners uh, for the Denver Nuggets. But <laughs> first time in 47 years of being in the NBA that they won uh, the NBA championship. And uh, congratulations to the entire team uh, for defeating the Miami Heat in uh, four games to one. 
um, at the Ball Arena. And also our thoughts and prayers with the at least nine people who were injured in a mass shooting in downtown Denver. Um, and basically it was a an altercation featuring a lot of different people. And this is a part of the American lifestyle that I do not understand. I never have. I've never understood a sports team. I mean, I, I get sports fanatics. I've been that guy. You've been that guy or girl. You know what I'm talking about. When someone is so loyal to the team that, you know, that we're talking face paint, we're talking, I got the customized jersey. Um, when you get to the point where you start referring to yourself as a part of the team, well, we played really good tonight. Uh, no, they played really good tonight and we cheered, right? Um, you know, I can see where it could get out of hand sometimes. If people have been reveling a little bit with too much, whatever it is that they've been reveling with. And, uh, you know, I, I totally understand that this is, happens. I don't think it's a good idea, but I, I I understand why it happens. So you bring a weapon and your team wins. And what do you do? You shoot nine people. I don't know. I don't get that. Remember back in those in the 80s? It's the first time I really remember seeing this. I know there were some teams that would get where the fan base would get a little agitated if their team lost and they didn't think it was fair you know controversial call end of the game cost my team the championship yeah i I might be a little steamed about that what really started to get to me though and i again i maybe it's because i had such a disdain for the team anyway but i i don't remember any other team's fans doing this the detroit pistons in the nba remember back in the day when the lakers and san antonio and houston and side order of phoenix in the west were really really good teams and then the East had Boston and Philadelphia and Detroit. Um, that was pretty much it in the East. The Pistons actually won the NBA championship one year, as I recall. And people in Detroit celebrated by burning mattresses in downtown areas, by shooting each other, by driving. What? I don't I don't get it. I mean, when you're so if you're happy and you're uplifted and you're celebrating, why would you be destructive? Does not make any sense to me whatsoever okay well congratulations nuggets for our thoughts and prayers for the people who were injured in the shooting I want to also thank robert from san diego for calling in yesterday with a 140 dollars donation to preborn uh, thank you so much robert that 140 dollars donation means that five more babies get to live i mean that's the simply uh god's honest truth every 28 dollars donation you make to preborn it's completely tax deductible 100% of the money goes to ultrasounds in preborn clinics. And every $28 donation provides one full treatment, if you will. You know, the pregnancy test, the ultrasound, you get to see the pictures, get to take the pictures with you, get to hear the heartbeat. And then all three of your options are explained, which is adoption, pre uh, parenting, or abortion. I mean, those, those are legal options. And 85% of the women who go to a preborn clinic and hear that whole spiel, um, wind up choosing life for their baby. It's remarkable. It's just, it's it's incredible to think that that type of thing would happen as a result of something that you and I did, but I'm grateful that they did. So thank you, Robert, for that $140 donation. Oh, by the way, Dennis Wilson's matching gift is still in place. We are working like crazy this week, especially with Father's Day coming up to, uh, to get a, a contributions enough in value to where we can actually put another pre-born ultrasound machine in a preborn clinic. It costs $15,000 to do so. And Dennis has put up a, a $7,500 match. Right now, we're about 20% of the way there. This $140 donation gets us that much closer. I know there's a bottom line listener who's listening today that will make a $500 donation 
that will basically be doubled because of Dennis's matching gift. 833-850-BABY is the number to call. 833-850-2229. B-A-B-Y. Or you can give your gift online when you go to kbrightradio.com, click the banner uh, for preborn and follow the prompts and do it that way. Uh, as we continue, I want to get into some educational issues here. There are students like crazy leaving California public schools and California public school administrators can't figure out why. Uh, recently, the I believe it was the state of Oklahoma sanctioned a charter school that is based on, it's going to be an online school, but it's a charter school that's run by the Roman Catholic Archdiocese of Oklahoma City or Tulsa. Charter schools really do promote the kind of learning. I mean, it's really the best of both worlds. If you want the intimacy, the self-focused directedness of what happens in a, um, uh, in a, in a private school, but it's public school funding. So it's available to everyone. And you know, you get the best of private, you get the best of public in the charter school. I can't for the life of me understand why so many educators seem to be against charter schools. Uh, Lance Izumi is director of education with the Pacific Research Institute. He wrote a book about this whole issue called Choosing Diversity, How Charter Schools Promote Diverse Learning Models and Meet the Diverse Needs of Parents and Children. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. We're actually going to give away a copy of the book uh, today as well, so you can get your dialing fingers ready, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. On the other side of this break, we're going to revisit my conversation with Lance Izumi, talking about how charter schools could be the uh, silver bullet, if you will, that will help us solve an educational dilemma, which is why are so many students leaving the public schools, even though California has a state constitutional mandate to provide that education. We'll talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Well, a special event is coming up, and today I've wel- I'm welcoming back uh, Lance Azumi from the Pacific Research Institute. He's the Senior Director of PRI's Center for Education to talk about a charter school form, and maybe we can find out why it is that Teachers unions and a lot of other union types don't really like charter schools, but they really do pay some huge dividends. Lance Izumi, welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. Well, it's so great to be on The Bottom Line with you, Roger. It's always a real pleasure to be able to have the chance to speak with you. Well, let's talk about this issue. Um, How about education? Let's talk about this. Talk about this charter school forum that you are one of the panelists on. Lance, what's going to, what's overall, what's going to be happening at this forum tomorrow? 
Well, we're going to have a you know a really uh, wide-ranging discussion on charter schools, and as you mentioned, you know there are going to be a number of different experts who are going to be there. You point out Kevin Kiley, uh, state assemblyman, who for many years has been the vice chairman of the uh, assembly education committee. He's actually right. so uh, uh, so he's going to uh, be there to talk, especially about the. Uh, inner workings of uh, education and charter schools legislation uh, within the state legislature. And we'll have a number of other experts who will be there. I'll be there uh, to talk a lot about um, uh, the diversity of charter schools and why they give parents so many different options in terms of the type of education they want for their children. And see, that's one of the issues I think that a lot of parents have with the regular public school system is that it's often very much a one-size-fits-all. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, your child may have different learning needs or different interests that aren't met by uh, the march and lockstep type of uh, curriculum or teaching methods that are employed by the regular public schools. And the good thing about charter schools is that uh, they have the freedom to choose uh, lots of different types of curriculum, different teaching methods, uh, different styles for uh, kids that may better meet the needs of individual children. And so, therefore, giving parents this choice through charter schools will often lead to a lot better uh, outcomes for their children, whether it's academic outcomes, social outcomes, emotional outcomes, it's, uh, it ends up being a lot better fit for a lot of families by having this ability to choose a charter school, which are schools, for those of your listeners who uh, may not know, are uh, uh, publicly funded schools, but that are independent of the school districts and therefore have a lot more flexibility and opportunity to uh, have uh, individualized type of curricula uh, that meets the needs of the kids who are their uh, their consumers, their students. Lance Azumi is with me today here on The Bottom Line, Senior Director of Pacific Research Institute's Center for Education up at thebottomlineshow.com. And Lance, I'm, I'm glad you brought up that issue. A lot of people look at the charter school and they kind of see the, the, well, it's like that, uh, you've probably seen the meme of two people on opposite ends of a number looking at what appears to be either the number six, if you're looking at it one way, or the number nine, if you're looking at it the other way. And, the, you know, the question for charter schools a lot of times is there are people outside of the public school system who see charter schools as just another part of public school, and it's really not something that anyone should support. On the other hand, there are people in the public school system, like you mentioned, school districts and the like, that look at the charter school as the enemy because they seem to be able to maneuver outside of the uh, – the, the realms of the school district, when parents get frustrated with teachers or with principals or things of that nature because they don't like what's being taught in the classroom, oftentimes their anger is somewhat misplaced. Talk about how a charter school uh, helps a parent or a grandparent who has that responsibility for educating their kids kind of really does provide for many families the best of both worlds public and private. Well, it certainly does. You know, I think that uh, charter schools have so many different advantages. I mean, one of the advantages they have, I mean, simply is the fact that, uh, you know, if you look at the research data, uh, on average, charter school students do better uh, on the uh, academic subjects, reading mathematics, uh, than their regular public school peers. And so, therefore, uh, you know, especially given the huge nosedive in learning that's occurred because of the COVID pandemic and all of the school closures, especially in the regular public school sector, that, uh, you know, you've seen massive declines in learning in both reading and mathematics, I think, and, and what you've seen because of that is you've seen a huge exit 
of parents and their kids from the regular public school system. Mm-hmm. And uh, in fact, uh, if you look at the statistics, I believe the most recent uh, stats show that about two million uh, kids have left the regular public school system wow. uh, because of the pandemic. That's a massive number. And, mm-hmm. you know, here in California, uh, there are hundreds of thousands of kids who have left uh, the public school system. In fact, on the first day of school, uh, just a, a couple weeks ago, uh, 50,000 kids did not show up for the first day of school at LA Unified. And so what that shows is that there's a huge dissatisfaction amongst parents with the type of schooling that uh, their kids have received at the regular public schools. One of the things that uh, the research has also shown, though, is that a lot of the a significant portion of the kids who have left the regular public schools have gone towards the charter school sector because, uh, you know, uh, they charter schools in many cases have been able to pivot much better to the learning environment uh, in the, during the COVID crisis and post-COVID, and that they have been able to uh, keep up standards, keep up the learning to a much greater degree than the regular public schools. And so parents have, uh, you know, uh, some of them at least, have gravitated towards the, uh, uh, the charter schools as opposed to the regular public schools. And so I think that that's one of the things. Also, too, historically, a lot of uh, parents have left the regular public schools because of issues involving safety. I mean, yeah. right now, one of the things you're hearing from a lot of the uh, schools is that uh, there's a lot more behavioral issues, safety issues going on on campus. And so uh, that, uh, parents are extremely worried about that. I mean, yes, they want their kids to do well in uh, academics, but, uh, you know, if you can't guarantee that my child is going to be safe, well, I don't want my child at your school. And right. I think that um, a lot of parents are removing their children from the regular public schools because of these increasing safety issues that you're seeing on a lot of campuses. In my book that I wrote a couple years ago called Choosing Diversity, which is about all the diverse uh, types of charter schools available uh, across the country, one of the things I saw is that a lot of people chose charter schools because of this issue of safety. In fact, I interviewed uh, some kids at one charter school and asked them, well, why did your parents decide to send you to this particular charter school? And they told me that, uh, well, it was because of safety issues. One fourth grader was telling me that, you know, at his previous regular public school, there had been a shooting uh, involving the police and an intruder on campus, and that really traumatized him, and so he couldn't learn because of that. And so his parents put him into this charter school, and... um, you know, the one thing he said about this school was, it made me feel safe. You know, they had a, a great safety protocol. You know, the gates were locked, all these sorts of things. And he ticked these off. And so he was obviously paying really close attention because he was worried about, you know, how, um, you know, he was his own safety. And so, therefore, before you can learn, you've got to feel safe. And that child uh, felt safe, so he now could learn. And I think that's what you're seeing with a, a lot of these kids uh, now uh, because of these uh, behavioral issues and safety issues going on at the regular public schools. Lance Izumi is with me today from Pacific Research Institute. I'm Roger Marsh. Lance is the author of a number of books on homeschooling and charter schooling. The book he just mentioned, Choosing Diversity, How Charter Schools Promote Diverse Learning Models and Meet the Diverse Needs of Parents and Children. We have a link for that book up at thebottomlineshow.com as well. More of my conversation with Lance Izumi in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. Welcome back to The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. Lance Azumi with the Pacific Research Institute is my guest. And we're talking about his book on charter schools. Uh, The book is called Choosing Diversity, 
how charter schools promote diverse learning models and meet the diverse needs of parents and children. There's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com, and we do have a copy of the book to give away, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. If California public schools have a graduation rate of 87%, but only 47% of public school students in California are proficient in English and 33% in math, something's wrong. And maybe the solution for saving the public school model is, in fact, charter schools. I'll continue that conversation with Lance Izumi from Pacific Research Institute coming up next as the bottom line continues. Lance Azumbi is with me today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. We're talking about an opportunity for you as a parent, a grandparent, as a concerned citizen who's looking at the public school situation where you are, anywhere here in California or Colorado, people who are listening to us right now online. Uh, Lance is Senior Director of Pacific Research Institute's Center for Education for a conversation about charter schools and how to strengthen California's charter schools at a local and state level. Um, Lance, you've written a couple of books on this topic, one we were discussing before the break uh, called Choosing Diversity, How Charter Schools Promote Diverse Learning Models and Meet the Diverse Needs of Parents and Children, which is an outstanding book about why, you know, making the case for charter schools. But you also wrote a book last year we had a conversation about, about homeschooling and the fact that during the pandemic, as we talked about before, couple million fewer students in public schools, a lot of parents are either choosing a private school, a charter school, or a homeschool option. And I know in that book, The Homeschool Boom, Pandemic Policies and Possibilities Why Parents Are Choosing to Homeschool Their Children. We've got that link at thebottomlineshow.com as well. I know you have a section in that book on the connection between homeschooling and charter schooling. Kind of give us an overview, if you would, about what that's all about. Well, thanks, Roger. Yes, that's absolutely right. I mean, I think a lot of people uh, don't realize that uh, it's not necessary in either or, that you either choose a charter school, for example, if you don't want to go to a regular public school, or you choose homeschooling. Well, actually, you can have the best of both possible worlds. In many cases, uh, you can choose a homeschool charter school, and there are really two types of those homeschool charter schools. The first type of uh, homeschool charter school is really where uh, you have a, a regular brick-and-mortar type of facility uh, that is a charter school, but uh, homeschools can enroll their kids in this charter school. They can take, uh, the kids can take uh, different types of courses, enrichment classes, uh, you know, whether it's uh, art or dance or even uh, some types of advanced classes or uh, really in, uh, special interest types of classes, and, uh, you know, ha- be taught at that brick-and-mortar facility for maybe a couple days a week. But then the rest of the week, the family gets to homeschool their child at home, you know, as one would think that homeschoolers would. And But one of the things that those homeschoolers also have access to through the charter school is not just these classes, but also the, a lot of these charter schools will have uh, on hand an entire library of different types of curricula that the parents can choose from. And so uh, instead of having to make a search uh, on the internet or something like that to figure out, you know, what type of curriculum am I going to use for my child as I'm teaching my child at home? They can uh, look at all the different types of curricula that is in stock at the charter school. So that's one type of charter homeschool. There's another type called a non-classroom-based charter school, and what that is is that uh, you homeschool your child, uh, you know, just uh, like you would. Uh, if you were uh, an independent homeschooler, you do enroll your child as a charter school student, but 
what you do is what you get is a, a credential teacher who will be basically your advisor. So if you have questions about uh, how to teach your child uh, this or that, uh, or in this subject or that subject, or if you have other types of uh, learning questions about your child, you can then uh, have regular meetings with this uh, teacher who will then advise you. I mean, you don't have to listen to that person, but they will be there always as a support mechanism for you as a homeschooler who is uh, teaching their child at home. And so uh, you you get that opportunity uh, through that uh charter school to access not only that teacher, but also, too, you get a certain amount of funding through the that homeschool charter school uh, that will allow you to then uh, spend that money for various types of uh, services, whether it's, let's say, perhaps you might want to hire a private tutor uh, because your child needs uh, special help in certain subjects, let's say math or some other subject, or else, you know, there may be other types of services or classes that you want your child to uh, engage in, maybe like arts or music. You can then uh, use that money to pay for uh, those types of specialized courses. So you get a wide-ranging opportunity to use uh, the, these resources provided by the charter schools to Pay, get uh, those types of tools that will help your child learn and in a very individualized and personalized way. And again, it's not this one-size-fits-all. It's uh, about making sure that what your child needs is addressed through the funding decisions that the parent makes about how to use that money that is provided through the charter school. That's great information from Lance Izumi, the Senior Director of Research of Pacific Research Institute's uh, Education Department and author of a number of books. We've had him as a regular guest here on the Bottom Line Show. I mean, I realize that we've been talking to you for more than half the time that we've been on the air here. So we've always benefited from your tremendous examples. Help us uh, take a look at this from the nonpartisan point of view, Lance Izumi, because I know you don't get in there to be Paul political. You're, you're all about pro-education. Gloria Romero, former state Senator, she was a former member of the California State Assembly, uh, at one point was the Democratic Majority Leader of the California State Senate for about four years in the uh, mid-aughts, as they say. Talk about what, what she brings to the table as an education reformer. No, I think that's an important point to bring up, Roger. Uh, it's, it, in this issue of charter schools and school choice more broadly, but uh, specifically charter schools, is not a partisan issue. It's not a Republican issue. It's not a Democrat issue. It, uh, you see support for charter schools that goes across the board. In fact, recently uh, there was uh, polling data that came out that like 84% of Americans said that charter schools should be available for people who uh, wanted to use those for their children. And that means, of course, that you have tons of Republicans, tons of Democrats who support the concept of charter schools. And Gloria Romero, uh, as you pointed out, who had been the majority leader for the Democrats in the state Senate uh, for a number of years, she represents that type of bipartisanship, uh, that type of bipartisan support for charter schools, uh, not just in California, but across the country. And so Gloria has been a big advocate for charter schools. She's been involved in a number of different types of charter schools uh, since her uh, days in the state Senate and the legislature. And so she's going to be bringing a, a real, uh, I think, uh, compelling perspective to this issue of charter schools to underscore the fact that uh, this is not a partisan or even ideological issue. This is about giving uh, parents the opportunity to uh, choose the best education for their children. And it doesn't matter 
you know, where you live in this state, you know, and, uh, you know, where, who, what you're registered as in terms of political party. It's all about the children. And so that's why you see on an issue like charter schools, you see people working across the aisle together to make that option available to parents. And I think it's really one of the um, best things we see in, um, you know, our uh, current day politics where you have so much divisiveness uh, in so, on so many issues, yet in this area of giving parents uh, a choice and the opportunity for their uh, kids to really excel and do well, you see that type of cooperation between Democrats and Republicans and independents. I think that's wonderful to see. And Lance Izumi, I mean, Lance, we've got 60 seconds left in our conversation time here. Uh, we've got a lot of grandparents who listen to the program right now who are probably used to seeing what happens at school board meetings and things like that, where more and more parents and grandparents are speaking up for the benefit of kids. Tomorrow night is not one of those. We're not here to debate books and things like that. It's all to talk about the value of charter schools in the state of California. Give an encouragement to parents and especially grandparents who might be thinking, you know, my kids are gonna be impacted by this. My grandkids are gonna be impacted by this. Why should I attend this forum event tomorrow night? Well, I think it's really important for grandparents, parents, uh, you know, any concerned family member to uh, get up to speed on charter schools, because really in California, at least at this point, the uh, outside of homeschooling, the real uh, option in terms of uh, parental choice is charter schools. Uh, other states have much uh, more wide-ranging uh, types of school choice programs, but in California, it's really charter schools. So if you are uh, unhappy with what's going on in the regular public school with, that your child or your grandchild is attending, then really you need, get, need to get informed about the charter school sector here in California. There are 1,300 or so charter schools in California that enroll about 675,000 kids. Well, you know, uh, th that's a huge number, and why are so many parents opting for that option? And what uh, kinds of benefits do they uh, potentially offer for your child or grandchild? And I think that tomorrow's forum will really um, help fill that knowledge gap for a lot of people. Well, I, I'm looking forward to it, along with other information about Lance Izumi's books, The Homeschool Boom, Pandemic Policies and Possibilities, Why Parents Are Choosing to Homeschool Their Kids, and also Choosing Diversity, How Charter Schools Promote Diverse Learning Models and Meet the Diverse Needs of Parents and Children. Both books are linked up at thebottomlineshow.com. Lance Izumi, always a pleasure fighting the good fight from all of us here at The Bottom Line. Thanks for your time today. Thanks so much, Roger. It's always an honor to be on the show, to be able to talk with you and to uh, speak to your listeners. Well, it is always good to get a conversation in whenever we can with Lance Azumi from the Pacific Research Institute. And I'm grateful that he wrote this fantastic book, helping us to better understand a solution to the public school dilemma. The book is called Choosing Diversity, How Charter Schools Promote Diverse Learning Models and Meet the Diverse Needs of Parents and Children. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com, and we do have a copy of the book that we're giving away right now. If you're a public school educator, if you're a parent or grandparent who has kids in the public schools and you're thinking, well, private school might be a bit too expensive, we don't know if we're really equipped to handle homeschooling, Charter schooling could be the way to go using those public school funds and the charter school model. And this book can tell you how to do that. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. On the other side of this break, well, you might be asking, Roger, I don't get it. I mean, what are you talking about here? I mean, I want to make sure that if we do pursue a charter school, is it really going to have the oomph 
and the punch that, uh, well, <laughs> that, uh, that we're looking for. Well, you remember some of the statistics I shared with you earlier in the um, hour about public schools failing kids in all different levels, whether it be just regular overall public high school numbers or people of color, African-American students, Hispanic students, English learners, as it were. Um, a charter school in Southern California recently made an announcement with regard to the class of 2023 that could be, and quite frankly, should be, I think, an encouragement to anybody who says, gosh, I'm really worried about public schools. I'm concerned that they're not doing the job that they need to do. But remember, charter schools are public schools by definition. I'm going to tell you about a charter school called the Collegiate Charter High School of Los Angeles where the number of kids who graduated from the school did something pretty incredible, involving how many, what percentage of that class is going to college in the fall. Um, if you like the number 100%, then you're gonna love finding out more about these kids. We'll tell you about it coming up next as the bottom line continues. You've been in an accident and the worst thing you can do is to wait to contact Stephanie at Cover Law. Stephanie frequently talks to people who waited too long to seek help with their cases or tried to handle them on their own. And by then, it's too late. Family and friends mean well, but they can give truly bad advice. Often even trusted advisors will try and convince you to wait for more compensation. Stephanie knows the insurance companies want you to wait. They don't want you to file police reports, and they don't want you to reach out to Stephanie at Cover Law. That's because Stephanie is keenly aware of the tactics they use and why. She spent 20 years litigating for insurance companies and knows the strategy they will use to minimize their liability and your awarded amount. Insurance companies are for profit. They don't share Stephanie's Christian values, and typically they won't be fair to you. Don't deny yourself the ability to get better. Go with a proven expert in the field of personal injury and contact Cover Law at kbrightradio.com slash C-O-V-E-R today. Welcome back to this Super Tuesday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and so glad you're with us today. My thanks again to Lance Azumi, the Director of Education for the Pacific Research Institute and author of the book called Choosing Diversity. This is a whole uh, homage, if you will, to uh, charter schools, how they promote diverse learning methods and uh, models, and how they meet the diverse needs of parents and children. It's not just cultural diversity in the, oh, diversity means we have people of different colors and different genders and whatever. This is what is the best model to use at a charter school to help kids do well. We're giving away a copy of this book at 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. And please remember that come election time in 2024, there are going to be a lot of people running for school board or city council or board of education, county supervisor, as well as all the way up the ticket to the 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. And it's up to us as Christians to make good and right and wise decisions with regard to whom we vote for. Craig Huey has written an outstanding book called The Christian Voter. I have four copies of this book. If you would like to get your hands on this and start doing some homework, some light summer reading, getting ready for the 2024 general election. Uh, we've got four copies of Craig Huey's book, The Christian Voter, 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line.
Hey, I was talking about charter schools with Lance Izumi, and we were discussing the fact that the graduation rates in California public schools just do not add up. We've seen the graduation rate jump from 83% to 87% over the past couple of school years. At the same time, though, we've seen math proficiency scores go down. They were 40% a couple of years ago. Now they're 33%. Uh, reading proficiency has gone from 51% to 47%. And when it comes to students in the proverbial urban areas and inner city, I say that with air quotes, um, something really dangerous, I think, is happening. And that is the fact that how do you have a graduation rate statewide of 87% when only 16% of African-American students in California are doing math at grade level? And only 9.7% of students who are doing math at uh, grade level in the Hispanic community. Well, the solution for many people is charter schools. It's one of the options I think that a lot of people uh, would con consider to be a good one, though the unions have a tendency to kind of poo-poo and eschew the desire of parents to put their kids in charter school. Basically, think of it this way. If you're not familiar with the concept of charter school, it works something like this. A school would be designated as a charter school. It's a public school, the public school system. It's funded by taxpayer money. But here's what happens at the end of the day. They basically run it. Smaller classes, a little more specialization with the teachers. It, it basically functions like a private school in terms of class size and curriculum and things of that nature. But it's funded by your tax dollars. So it's not to say it's free per se, but um, it can be paid for with taxpayer funding. So enter the Collegiate Charter High School in Boyle Heights. This is an independent charter school that was founded in 2015, and it is in the middle of one of the densest populations of Latino families that live at or below the poverty level in the nation. This is a school that when you talk about college prep, I mean, well, it's in the name, right? I mean, the school is called Collegiate Charter High School of Los Angeles. The idea is that kids will not only graduate from high school, but they will attend college. And typically, you find that the success rate of students who go to charter schools, getting into college and staying in college and finishing up that degree generally higher with charter schools than it is with the general population. By the way, sidebar, I understand why teachers would say, you know what, we're just going to keep promoting these kids because, quite frankly, we don't want them coming back and taking the 11th grade three times or the 9th grade twice or whatever. And I'm sure there's a different payout for the students because you do realize that there are federal monies attached to each of the students and uh, the students coming in represent dollars for the district to spend on teachers and things of that nature. And the dollar amounts vary from state to state. Some states are spending five, six, seven thousand dollars per year educating their students. I believe I read New York is over thirty thousand dollars per student. My daughter Emily taught private school in Southern California and Orange County for about eight years. She made a good salary, but wasn't, you know, I mean, you teach at a private school like that because it's a labor of love. And in this case, it was her home church. But she had a California teaching credential and could have taught anywhere in public school and would have made a bit more money. She and her husband moved to Texas last year. She was able to get not one, but two jobs in the public school. One as an aide and then eventually as a classroom orchestra conductor. And she told me she was very happy with the salary that she had for starters. But then she was told by one of the other teachers 
that she had been started at that same salary 16 years ago. And within the decade and a half that followed, her pay went up by about 10%. Whereas in California, she would have had several pay jumps, not necessarily for merit, but just basically for time served and new education. So I get it that the teachers have a tough time with kids in tough areas. And the Boyle Heights Charter School is in one of the toughest areas in the country with regard to people who live at or below the poverty line. There, there is a higher percentage of people living there in Boyle Heights at that point than there, just about anywhere else in the country. But there's going to be a special graduation ceremony for the students at uh, Collegiate Charter High School of Boyle Heights because for the fourth time in five years, the entire graduating class of 2023 is going to college. You heard right. They had a very special senior signing day ceremony at Collegiate Charter High School about a week or so before uh, graduation rolled around. And at that ceremony, what made it special, every single member of the senior class at this charter high school in Boyle Heights is going to college. Uh, amazing. Now, you're wondering, how big is the class? Good question. Because charter schools typically have smaller enrollments and the class sizes, the classroom sizes are smaller, uh, the uh, Collegiate uh, Charter Academy of Los Angeles has graduating this class this year of 45. Uh, Hector Alvarado is the principal at Collegiate, and he said he's been honored and humbled to have been part of a journey for these graduating seniors. Quoting him here, he has no doubt they will help solve some of the biggest, toughest problems our society faces today. The school says it is committed to ensuring that its students graduate with high school diplomas and embark on the pursuit of higher education, which, of course, is critical to breaking the cycle of intergenerational poverty. By the way, wait till you get a load of how much money these seniors have earned in scholarships. It's a lot. Uh, by the way, Collegiate Charter High School is an independent charter school. Um, school is tuition free. Any California high school student is welcome to apply for admittance. The enrollment for this current school year, 206, 45 of them seniors, all of them going to college. I'll talk about how much scholarship money they've earned and why it is significant that these kids are graduating from high school in the first place. It's coming up next as the bottom line continues. You know the old expression, a picture is worth a thousand words. Well, if you're an expectant mom and you go to a pregnancy health center that is in partnership with Preborn, one picture can say way more than that. And that picture I'm talking about is an ultrasound picture. Every donation that goes to Preborn goes to providing ultrasounds for women who are expecting children and they want to know what all of their options are. When you call 833-850-BABY right now, you give a gift of $28 that provides one ultrasound. But if you give a gift toward the purchase of an ultrasound machine, now that's a $15,000 investment, but every ultrasound machine can do 250 ultrasounds per year and lasts a minimum of 10 years. That's 2,500 ultrasounds available to women right now. Think of all the babies, thousands of babies' lives that will be saved by your donation to Preborn right now. Call 833-850-BABY. 833-850-BABY. That's 833-850-2229. Make your best donation right now. $50, $100. Maybe you want to give $15,000. It's completely tax deductible. We've had a couple of bottom line listeners step up and do just that. 833-850-BABY. 833-850-BABY. 
B-A-B-Y. That's 833-850-2229. Call Preborn right now. Welcome back to the Super Tuesday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. The number to get you through to the bottom line. We still have four copies of Craig Huey's book, The Christian Voter, uh, The Christian Voting Guide. Uh, it's available uh, for you. We've got four of them to give away at 800-227-5278. Also, Lance Azumi's book about uh, charter school education. It's called Choosing D- Diversity, How Charter Schools Promote Diverse Learning Models and Meet the Diverse Needs of Parents and Children. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800 the number to get you through to the bottom line. Of course, we are celebrating this half hour with the students and parents and faculty at Collegiate Charter High School in Los Angeles, a school in Boyle Heights, where most of the students live at or below the poverty level. There are 206 students enrolled in the school. 45 of them are seniors, 45 seniors graduating from the charter school, and every single one of them has been accepted into a four-year university. It's the fourth time in five years that's happened. By the way, how are they paying for it, you ask? With scholarships, so far, the 45 students have earned a combined $630,000 in scholarships, which means they're not all going to Harvard or Yale or Stanford. Many of them may have scholarships for Cal State LA or Cal State Fullerton or Cal State Long Beach, just to name a few. But here's the part of this that really got me thinking. This, as I mentioned, is one of the densest populations of Latino families that live at or below the poverty level in the nation. The majority of the seniors who are going to be attending college next year will be the first in their families to do so. And the reason for that is that many of these students who graduated this year are the first in their families to ever graduate from high school, let alone attend college. Is the charter school option the right option? I think it could be an excellent option. But as long as public school unions keep getting in the way and telling everyone that the charter schools aren't any good, yeah, it's going to be an uphill battle. But we'll put this article up at thebottomlineshow.com along with information about Lance Izumi's book on choosing diversity. KCBC audience, enjoy the rest of your day. We've got Rabbi Schneider and Discovering the Jewish Jesus coming up next. For those who remain on the network, a bi-monthly visit with Dr. George Barna. We talk about the two things that we learned about faith and values in the during the pandemic. That's coming up next as the bottom line continues. Well, joined today for another insightful conversation here on The Bottom Line with Dr. George Barna, the Director of Research at the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University. And if you are watching on myhelpnow.com, George is in his office at ACU, and he has a, that's a pennant back there with the logo and everything like that. Uh, George Barna, welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. What's ACU's uh, nickname or whatever? The the Firestorm? Firestorm, yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, Okay. And that there's a biblical significance to that, I'm sure. There is, and if you want me to quote the verse, I'll uh, probably wind up getting fired because I'm no, not don't sure. don't, <laughs> don't don't do that, don't do that. Well, as a matter of fact, why don't we just play something? You know, can you play fire or something like that instead? <laughs> that that'd be a fun bass part to play, right? Well, I, yeah, yeah I, I think it would. Well, well, yeah. we hot off the presses, 
We have a, another installment of the uh, CRC American Worldview Inventory in 2023. If you have not been following these, I highly recommend you go to thebottomlineshow.com and sign up. The link is there. The reports that come out of the American Worldview Inventory are free. Of course, you can also purchase uh, the brand new book on helping millennials thrive, which we got a massive response to uh, the last time George was on the program talking about that. It's such a great research. And also then having the different voices, especially a lot of millennial voices speaking into why there's a huge cultural shift in the nation right now. In your current American worldview inventory, there are two items that are worth changing. And, and first of all, it, it's if it feels like America has changed dramatically with regard to religious beliefs and behaviors since the pandemic ended, you're right. But George Barna, help us understand it's more than just saying, gosh, it feels weird. You've got some measurable metrics that help us show how big the changes really are. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, Roger, because people's religious beliefs don't change very much. You know, I've been doing this for more than 40 years. And one of the things that has been interesting over the course of that time is that we see changes in all kinds of attitudes and behaviors related to consumption patterns, related to relationships, related to uh, politics, related to economic theories and practices, all kinds of things. But when it comes to measures of faith, they don't change much. Why? Because this is the central part of a person's worldview. Right. Their worldview is developed by the age of 13, and it rarely changes much after that. And so the fact that now we see after the pandemic, there have been very large changes on a number of different attributes, it comes back to, well, why? What, what caused that to happen? And it, when we go back to why faith ever changes, it's usually in response to a crisis. And so here we have the pandemic being a hopefully once in a lifetime crisis for millions of people simultaneously. So it wasn't just one person had a crisis and sure. they changed. We had an entire society now that was really wrestling with all kinds of changes to who they are, their identity, their lifestyle, their relationships, their community, and their faith. So uh, it's it's a really unusual thing. But you know, normally when I look at changes that take place, if you see a two, three, four percentage point change in anything related to religion, it's kind of a big deal. Here we had changes of 20 percentage points. If we look at born again Christians, we had changes in beliefs of 42 mm. percentage points in one case, a change in behavior of 35 percentage points in one case among born agains. So, I mean, this is really a big deal. We're talking about the American Worldview Inventory from the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University today here on The Bottom Line. Dr. George Barna leads that fine effort, and we've got a link for the school and for the report up at thebottomlineshow.com. Sorry, I just had to do the bah, you know, type of thing on a cartoon. You know, you see the person just kind of shaking their head saying, you said a 42% change in one area with regard to, and we're talking born-again evangelical Christian adults. Um, this is in the area of purpose, and I'd love for you to talk about this because we saw a huge shift, it seemed like, when Rick Warren wrote his book, Purpose Driven Life. People were buying it. They were moving forward. They were saying, yes, this is it. And one pandemic shows up, and three years later, a lot of people now are questioning that. Talk about what, how you measured that and what that means. Well, it, it really looks at, you know, how do people perceive their life? Why is it worth living? You know, one of the decreases that we saw across the board, for instance, was people saying that human life is sacred. 
there was a mm. significant drop over the course of the pandemic. Now, you would think logically that maybe a pandemic would cause people to move in the opposite direction and say, no, I want to save my life. I want to save the lives of others. Human life really does matter. Now that it's being taken away from us, gosh, let's do what we can do to protect it. Right. But instead, Americans said, yeah, people are dying left and right. More of them are going to die. I might die. Whatever. And that's yeah. kind of the attitude that Americans have taken. It's really bizarre. It, it and, is. and so when you look at something like purpose, now there was a, a 20 percentage point drop across the board with all American adults in terms of believing that they have a unique God-given calling or purpose for their life. But with born-again Christians, it was a 42 percentage point drop. Wow. So, you know, you look at at non-Christians, probably, and I don't have that right in front of me, but it's probably in the area of 12, 13, 14 percentage point drop. Born-again Christians dragging down the whole average here, 42 points. You know, they're looking at themselves and saying, well, you know what? I expected God to show up. Why would he let this happen? Mm -hmm. And so maybe he's not in charge. And maybe I'm not that important that he would have something special or unique for me to do because I'm struggling. I'm wrestling just like everybody else. Kind of an interesting interpretation. But when we look at all of these changes together, one of the things that I think it says is that born again Christians in particular aren't as deep in their faith as maybe we thought or at least hoped that they were. Mm -hmm. Instead, what we're seeing is, you know what? They got the fire insurance. They were happy about that. They let it go at that. And they haven't dug a lot deeper in terms of their relationship with Christ, in terms of their commitment to a Christian lifestyle, a biblical lifestyle. And their slate of beliefs isn't as deep as we would have hoped it was either. Dr. George Barnum, my guest today here on The Bottom Line, the Director of Research at the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University. We're talking about ACU's American Worldview Inventory 2023, the most recent report on how the pandemic has found significant changes in religious beliefs and behaviors of all U.S. adults, and that 42% of uh, evangelical born-again Christian adults uh, losing that sense of biblical purpose. It's just, it's amazing to see how many people are at that point. At the same time, though, because it sounds like what you were saying kind of flies in the face of what we saw in the media, of course. It's get the jab and stay away from people and whatever, because life is sacred. And your numbers are saying, actually, not so much. I mean, not the people were not holding that view. That was kind of more of the talking heads on television. At the same time, though, you saw a bit of an upturn. You mentioned anything that's 2 to 3% gets your attention. This one went up a little more than that with regard to uh, the presence of and the belief that there is absolute truth. Talk about that, if you would. Yeah. Now, we got to be careful about this because, you know, on the one hand, people are saying they believe in absolute moral truth to a greater degree now than they did before the pandemic took place. Mm -hmm. But there, there is a modifier that we have to put in here, which is that there was also a six percentage point decline in the proportion of people who said that they believe and God is the definer of all truth. Mm -hmm. So what we've got now, again, is this, this movement, this me is a movement of everything revolves around me. You know, it's interesting that you bring up Rick Warren's book, you know, years ago, first line in it, it's not about you. Americans today would reject that concept. Mm. No, it absolutely is. And I know that because I'm the holder of truth for my life, and I've determined that it's about me. 
that's kind of how we think now. So, uh, yeah, we can be excited about the fact that we believe we're more likely to believe moral absolutes exist. We have to keep in mind that it's still a minority of adults who believe that. And when we ask them, well, then where do those moral absolutes come from? They're saying, well, from within. From me. Based on my feelings, my mm -hmm. experiences, my dreams, my goals, me, me, me. So we got to be real careful about how we interpret some of this. Yeah, there's a pastor I, I I know I've seen on social media who likes to, uh, his sign off is talking to people about having the love of God in their heart. He says, you are loved, and then says, and you are love. And I thought, well, wait, that, you know, someone might take that and say, I'm going to focus on the second part, not the first one, you know, because, you know, that all the goodness is coming from me and anybody who comes after me, I guess that's where you get the silence is violence. And if you disagree with me, it's hate speech type of rhetoric, because I can understand now why people in the world and maybe some, even some people in the church would say, well, if there is a moral standard, it's me. So therefore, if you disagree with me, then you're immoral or you're a bad person. I mean, that seems so schoolyard and preschool kindergarten type of thinking, George Barnett, but what you're telling us here in the last 60 seconds of this segment is, yeah, that's where we are. Well, and, and frankly, Roger, it's one of the reasons why I always refer to it as a biblical worldview, not a Christian worldview, because we discovered that when people talk about a Christian worldview, they'll say that they have one. A large majority of people say they have a Christian worldview, and in their mind, their eyes, all that means is I'm a good person. Yeah. Therefore, I'm a Christian, and yeah. I have the worldview of a Christian. How could I not? I'm a good person. Right. I used to think that when I was in high school. I went to church. I didn't drink. I didn't smoke. You know, no pregnancies with my name attached to it. I mean, I was a good guy, you know, until all of a sudden I saw what the real gospel was all about. And then I, it's like, okay, well, just because you've been in church every Sunday for 17 years doesn't necessarily mean you're a Christian any more than I think Max Licato once famously said, if you put your socks in the oven, it doesn't make them biscuits. So I mean, well, that's I that's one way of looking at it. Dr. George Barna is with us today here on the bottom line. Uh, we're taking a look at the latest edition of the American the American Worldview Inventory from the Center for Cultural Research Studies at Arizona Christian University. We've got this report up at thebottomlineshow.com. Okay, so the sixty-four thousand dollar question that we'll ask on the other side of this break is: If faith got, grew stronger for some Americans and some Christians, and others kind of shifted to more of a me-centered, syncretistic type of view, which Americans' generation faith actually was most impacted by the pandemic and how, either for the better or for the worse. We'll talk about that with Dr. George Barna on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. 
Dr. George Barna is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. We're talking about the latest installment in the uh, Arizona Christian University Cultural Research Center American Worldview Inventory Study for 2023. And as you can imagine, when they first started doing this about four years ago, it was a different world. And now that we are post-pandemic, the statistics that we're finding from the CRC study is really remarkable. Uh, We've got a link for the latest report up at thebottomlineshow.com. And during the break, George and I did establish something, another commonality that we have is neither one of us is a rush fan and i think that's probably helpful for us moving forward i love a good power trio but just there's something about rush that just who's your favorite power trio george have i ever asked you this before i don't think you have um probably cream yeah i was gonna say i i I figured cream would be right up there for me it's robin trower but sometimes trower had a singer and then a separate bass player you know so but i mean the singing bass player guy boy i'll tell you what i mean that's just uh you, you get the jack bruces up there and man it's just a, it's really something but you're a great singing bass player are you not uh, i can barely talk are you kidding? <laughs> <laughs> but you have a perfect growl for rock and roll oh my I would, god i would no, think but i am flying to london on sunday to go to the uh eric clapton concert he's putting on the tribute for jeff Beck. oh my I'll oh get my. to see at least one third of my favorite power trio. There you go. There you go. I, I love that. Well, let, let's, okay. We're talking generational things now. And uh, as we get back into the uh, uh, Arizona Christian University cultural research study, CRC study on which Americans generations faith was altered the most by the pandemic and how for the better, for the worse, just give us the, give us the good news first. Which, did, did any of, whether it's millennials, Gen X, et cetera, did any generation see an increase in terms of faith and biblical worldview, moral absolutes, things like that? Well, we did find that uh, the two older generations, baby boomers and the elders, were more inclined to move toward biblical faith rather than away from it. Mm-hmm. So there weren't huge changes that took place, but a lot of the changes that we saw were positive changes for them. For the boomers, for instance, there were 10 changes where we had significant shifts, and nine of those 10 moved them closer to biblical faith. Mm. The majority of them got there, but at least it was positive movement. Uh, you know, unfortunately, with both groups, the incidence of biblical worldview with each of those generations dropped a, a little bit. Uh, you know, elders dropped from 9% to 8%. Boomers dropped from 9% to 7%. So not huge drops, but uh, that overall didn't move in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, give us the bad news. And I'm imagining that the younger generations, the pandemic really shook what kind of faith they actually had. Yeah, not so much for the millennials, interestingly, hmm. because millennials went into the pandemic not thinking that faith was a central part of who they are or how they're going to make their decisions. And so they pretty much moved through the pandemic years without much interest in or reliance upon religious beliefs, religious behaviors, religious communities, religious relationships. That wasn't their thing. So they were very much shaken by the pandemic, but they didn't have faith to fall back on Mm. that would have helped them navigate through that that three-year crunch. So it was a difficulty. We, we did see that there were some significant changes for them. Uh, you know, mostly things moved in a negative direction, but it's not like it was mostly the pandemic that was causing that. They were already on that trajectory. So it was kind of life as expected for that mm-hmm. group. Where we saw the biggest changes were with Gen X, 
Hmm. which you would not have expected because they're older, they're farther from that period of time when they set their worldview. And yet this was, you know, the group that had the greatest number of changes. They were almost always shifting away from trust in or belief in or reliance upon God. Hmm. So we saw, you know, the decrease in, in their believing that he created humanity, that he is the basis of truth, that he has the characteristics we ascribe to God as the God of Israel, you know, the omnipotence uh, and, and so forth. Uh, less likely to read the Bible, attend church, confess sins, ask for forgiveness, seeking God's will, worshiping God, all of that significantly down with Gen X. You know, it's interesting talking with Dr. George Barna today here on The Bottom Line about his most recent uh, edition of the Cultural Research Center's American Worldview Inventory Study, which is up at thebottomlineshow.com, to see how the different generations line up in terms of the statistical areas that you're measuring. And one of the things I always appreciate, George, about the research you've done over the years, uh, first with the Barna Group and now with uh, Arizona Christian and also uh, Family Research Council as well, the idea that there are different areas you can measure. And oftentimes when we get into opinion polls, you know, or having those questionnaires, even churches will do this. It's either one of those MailChimp things that's got 900 questions on it that no one really cares about it. And, you know, only 30 people from your church respond. You get the right sample, you're nationwide, you're talking to people inside the church predominantly, but also some outside the church. And then you're looking at some key areas that are good metrics. I mean, for pastors to know about, for parents to take a look at and not just keep trying to placate whatever their faith journey looks like to them, but to see what it really looks like in the culture. we got a couple minutes left here. Talk about how you would encourage people to use your uh, biblical American worldview inventory studies if you're just, you know, say the average listener, you know, who just says, these are great, I find them interesting, but how can I start applying them with my kids, with my grandkids at my church? You know, you look at the types of questions that we're asking people, and, and we don't have all the questions in these reports, but you get a sense of the types of things that we're looking at. And so much of it is basic Christianity. You know, so you want to talk with your children, your grandchildren, your friends, your, your colleagues, people in your church about who they believe God is, what's the nature of God, and what difference does it make? Right. You know, you want to talk about, do you believe that we're actually sinners that we're born that way, that, that we have that inclination, that we need the Holy Spirit to radically change us so that our first inclination isn't to do what feels good. Right. You want to talk about, you know, is there absolute moral truth? Where does it come from? How is it defined? You want to talk about, you know, what is success in life? Is it getting the big house, the Porsche, the trophy wife, you know, all these things that the culture esteems? Or does God have a different perspective, which he does, by the way, and the correct answer is obedience to his principles. Mm. I mean, that's success in life, consistent obedience. You know, a purpose in life, you know, knowing, loving, serving God, by heart, mind, strength, soul. These are the kinds of things that we need to be having consistent conversations about, and not only repeating what the content is, but asking what's the most important question, which is, so what? Right. And spending some time thinking about Okay, God did make everything. God is all-powerful. God knows everything. God is love. He's perfect. He's just. So what? Well, that has some dramatic implications for how I'm going to live my life. And having those kinds of conversations, digging into it, thinking about it, challenging each other, holding each other accountable, that's where the church really becomes an influence in society. 
Well, this is a great report, a great update. And of course, this coupled with the new book on millennials uh, must read. I mean, these are required reading, I think, for bottom line listeners uh, coming out of uh, George Barna and the American uh, well, the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University and the American Worldview Inventory, which we've got links for up at thebottomlineshow.com. The book's available for purchase. The reports are available uh, for nothing. George Barna, always appreciate our time together. Uh, and if Eric Clapton asks you to sit in, do it, okay? And get get ussies, okay? We we want that. Yeah. I'm hoping we'll have that. Larry Cordell asked me to sit in once and I was scared to death. So (laughs) I don't think that would happen. Oh, okay. Well, have a great time across the pond and we'll catch up with you next month. Dr. George Barna, always a pleasure. Thanks for being with us today here on The Bottom Line. Thank you, Roger. Well, it's always great to spend some time with Dr. George Barna and these two reports, part of the Cultural uh, Worldview Inventory, the American Worldview Inventory at the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University are very, very telling. We've got the, them linked up at thebottomlineshow.com. And if you are not receiving Dr. George Barna's reports, I, I don't know why. I really honestly don't. They're so good. They're so biblical. They're right. They're true. And uh, I I appreciate what George puts into his research. Um, By the way, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, um, some final thoughts on what one of those statistics actually means. And since today is Super Tuesday, you've still got a couple more opportunities to call in and win a copy of Craig Huey's outstanding book called The Christian Voter, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. You know, I'll never forget the moment I met my grandson, Isaac. It actually wasn't in the delivery room. That was the first time I held him. But the first time I actually met Isaac was when I went with his mother to her ultrasound appointment, and the ultrasound technician showed us a picture of that eight-week-old baby in the womb. Uh, You know, I encourage you to contact Preborn right now and make a donation to provide that same experience for another family. Maybe there's someone in your family who's expecting a child right now. They've had the ultrasound. You've seen the picture. You've heard the heartbeat, and you think, wow, how can I bless someone else. Studies show that 83% of the women who go to a preborn clinic and see that ultrasound either choose to become mothers and raise the children on their own or release the child for adoption. It cuts the risk of it cuts the rate of abortion dramatically. But your donations are necessary right now to get more ultrasound machines into preborn health clinics. Give a gift online when you go to kbrightradio.com and click the banner that says preborn. Cute little baby there wrapped up in a blanket. Or give a gift over the phone. 833-850-BABY, 833-850-BABY, that's 833-850-2229. Call Preborn, make a donation. Every ultrasound machine could do 250 ultrasounds per year, so give a gift right now. My thanks again to Dr. George Barna and also Dr. Lance Izumi for being with us for the past 90 minutes today here on The Bottom Line Show, talking about public school education, charter schools, Uh, Congratulations to the Collegiate Charter School of Los Angeles for sending their entire graduating class to college. We're talking four-year variety. Almost every kid earned a scholarship. And uh, 45 students, $630,000, you can do the math. It's amazing how, you know, these kids are graduating with some kids with two and $300,000 worth of uh, student loan debt. And I I would love to see what happens at the end of four or five years with these uh, collegiate charter high school of Los Angeles students um, who are coming out of Boyle Heights and saying, yeah, my family was in poverty, but I've got an education and I've got a shot. Uh, One of the statistics Dr. George Barna mentioned, and by the way, if you want a copy of that book, 
uh, Choosing Diversity, or also uh, the book by Craig Huey about the Christian voter. Call 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. One of the statistics Dr. George Barnes shared during our conversation, I want to share uh, a little bit of thought about this as we conclude today's program. And that is the number of people who believe in moral absolutes actually went up by about 6% during the pandemic. That's good news, that more and more people believe that there is such a thing as moral absolutes. Now here's the problem. That same percentage, 6%, also represents the decrease in the number of people who say that, yeah, I believe in moral absolutes, I just don't believe that they come from the Bible. Here's why that's problematic. First of all, because God's true and right and perfect, and so uh, whatever he says is right, so he should be the standard for our morals and ethics and virtues, etc. But what makes this even more insidious is the fact that people are now defining themselves as the moral arbiters of the culture. I like this, so therefore this is true. This is the way I feel, this is the way, therefore, then my feelings are the truth. You speak your truth, according to Oprah Winfrey, and the, and the list goes on. Brothers and sisters, look, there is a moral absolute, and it, his name is Jesus Christ. God wrote into our hearts his natural law. It's natural because it's his idea, and we all come equipped with it. We either give into it, yield to it, and relish the fact that God loves us enough to give us those, uh, those safeguards, or we rebel against it fight against it the whole time. That's the, the whole, you know, I fought the law and the law one type of argument. But I want to encourage you because the more you spend time with the Lord in his word, I, I had a chance to spend some time with some new brothers last week, uh, Ray and, uh, um, and George, who are doing some work around our house and uh, just great guys with uh, King of Kings Construction. And we were having that conversation about how obvious it's become that the world has become so sinful and so fallen that parts of it won't be redeemed or parts of them will be redeemed and the redemption part will mean kind of the wiping out of some of the old so the new can come into play. But mankind doesn't get to determine that. Mankind doesn't get to say we're going to redefine marriage and the family and truth and justice. There is one definition and it's God's definition. And the question is, are you on the Lord's side or not? That's the bottom line. 800-227-5278. 